Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Media Boat Podcast. Hello, hello. Today is May the 5th, Cinco de Mayo in these parts, day after Star Wars Day, if you're having a Star Wars hangover right now. I don't know what that comprises of, maybe just too much blue milk. It um, comprises of not being at the top. Yeah, something like Taking that. the low ground. <laughs> yes. Um, if you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, oh, it's episode 278, by the way. If you don't know what the Media Boat Podcast is, we are a podcast that brings you news about movies, television, video games, and music, but not necessarily in that order. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I jumped the gun there. I'm Mike. It's okay. He's Matt. I usually don't talk until you introduce me, but... Uh... It's episode 278. If you, you haven't figured that out by now, by episode 270, that <laughs> I always wait to be introduced to talk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm blowing your mind right now. Go back yeah. and listen. You're like, oh yeah, he uh, doesn't speak till he's introduced. So yeah, just a heads up. If there's a little bit of an audio difference this week, it's because Mike's recording in a different room. Um, please let us know in the comments if you have any tips and tricks about that kind of thing. We're going to troubleshoot it for next week and moving forward. We'll see what happens. So yeah. Um, for those of you watching on the YouTube, I have a new blank setup behind me. Uh, this will be fixed <laughs> probably this weekend. So come, I have a big, huge poster here. If I can just like slide this in here. <laughs> That's yeah. going to be behind me eventually. Okay. That, that was an audio uh, visual for everyone on the YouTube, which if you're not watching on the YouTube, just search for us on YouTube. We do a podcast. Yeah, I mean, you get to see all this mess behind me. So why not watch uh, the video version of the podcast? That's sponsored missing by out. Diet Dr. Pepper. I mean, hey, I got one right here. I'm drinking one right now. Uh, if they want to give us money, hey, I'm down. Diet Dr. Pepper, it's good. Anyway. Hashtag <laughs> it's not sponsored. It's not even their slogan. <laughs> um, let's get started, as we always do, which the movies. And we always start the movie section with the weekend box office numbers. This week, your number one movie, which, well, only in this kind of unique time would something like this happen. But your number one movie in the United States of America is, surprise, surprise, Demon Slayer, the movie Mugen Train, Mugen Train, uh, which, of course, was the new box office king of Japan, the anime film. Um, and yeah, now is the box office king here in the U.S., so that made a $6.4 million. That's at $34 million domestic total, which, if you're keeping score at home, means that it's right under Ryan the Light Last Dragon. I'm looking at a $41 million total. Yep. Again, no, that's right. <laughs> this could only happen right now in this weird kind of halfway point where nobody's really seeing movies. So, hey, I'll go down into the 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 book says being a number one film Weird. we did say back in january that it was the number one anime in japan yeah so and it came over here to the u.s and continued to steamroll everyone yes that is a train pun <laughs> is it even about trains uh you're asking me <laughs> <laughs> asking the wrong person anyways right uh, uh, like demon slayer uh, franchise. Yeah, which I'm not familiar with, but I'm guessing there's demons and I'm guessing they get slayed. I had so Mugen Train, uh, Mugen is typically dragon. Okay. Translate, roughly translation. So. Got it. So Dragon Train. Dragon Train. Wasn't that a P 
PBS Kids show. Dragon Train? Yeah, wasn't there there's a show Dragon Tales. Train? Well, there's Dragon Tales, but I think there's also... Oh, Dinosaur Train. That's what I was thinking. Uh, there's Dragon Tales and Dinosaur Train. I conflated the two of them. Anyways, what's not Demon Slayer is the rest of this top five. Mortal Kombat moves down to number two this week. $6.2 million. That's also at $34 million domestic, not including HBO Max revenue. Number three, Godzilla vs. Kong, 2.8 this week, putting that at $90 million domestic. Again, not including HBO Max tally. Number four, Separation, debuting this week at $1.2 million. And lastly, the aforementioned Raya and the Last Dragon, another $1.3 million puts that at that $41 million domestic total. So, and of course, not including Disney Plus Premiere. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of your look. A couple of newbies here, um, but generally not super surprising numbers yeah um kong versus godzilla is obviously a big winner of the box office right here 90 million dollars yeah i would be shocked color me surprised if it does hit that 100 million dollar mark yeah because it's slowing down now but man it could be a hit for warner brothers yeah, I'm sure they're thrilled. I mean, they already gave that director a new, a new, uh, a new film. I forget what it was, uh, but I read some sort of headline that was like, "Oh, Godzilla vs Kong director already has his next project." I was like, "Okay, yeah, makes sense. Mm-hmm. He he has a hit, so why not?" Yeah, they want to keep him in the house. Oh yeah. Upcoming this week, we do have a couple new releases for this Mother's Day weekend. Don't forget. First up here today. Do you know what this is? Uh, yes, it's that Gondomar. one movie about the one thing with the thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, mystery, I think. Or comedy. Mm. Anyway, also we have Wrath of Man, which sounds like a completely different kind of movie than here today. That's right. Comedy starring Sharon Stone. That was uh, Wrath of Man is the action thriller starring Jason Statham. Oh, that's the Guy Ritchie thing. Yes. Yes. Okay. Got it. So those are your two very, very polar opposite releases for Mother's Day. Uh, don't take your mom to either, probably. Stay home with mom this 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 year. Or uh, if you live separately from your mother, uh, send a nice card and maybe some some uh, DoorDash cash or something. And do it soon, because my... <laughs> running out of time. Got my card out last weekend, thankfully. All right. With those new releases behind us, we can now jump into some movie news for y'all. And our first story takes us into the land of Cinemark Theaters. Not necessarily the most um, well-known of the theater chain. It's no AMC and no No. Regal, but is the third largest chain in the U.S., yeah, you may or may not want have one of those in your uh, tri-city area. Uh, they're trying to make even more of a place in the market by making a deal with one of the biggest streaming movers and shakers. They've announced the uh, upcoming Netflix film Army of the Dead, that's of Zack Snyder origin, will play in more than 200 of its Cinemark locations starting on May 14th, one week before the film is set to premiere on Netflix. Smaller independent and regional theater chains, including the Alamo Draft House, will screen the film as well. Over 600 screens near nationwide are going to stream this film. In a press release by Cinemark, they indicated that this will be the, 
the beginning of a new phase in its relationship with Netflix, which tested the waters late last year's with the movie Christmas Chronicles 2, The Midnight Sky, and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, all appearing on theater screens. So Netflix making those deals, getting their movies in theaters as an another revenue chain. Meanwhile, chains like Alamo Drafthouse and Cinemark are getting in and making some extra movie on with more movie uh, with more screens than they would have had otherwise. So it's a win-win. Right, especially still coming into this coming in, coming out of this pandemic where mm-hmm. movies releases are still few and far between. I mean, hello, look at this week's release. Right. It makes sense. Zach Snack Snyder. Snack Zack Snyder. Snack Zider. It's our man. Is a big name. Army of the Dead is a big film for Netflix and you know, subsidize some of that cost. Yeah, put it on screens. Makes sense. It's a good business move. Now, should you go see it a week early in a movie theater? (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) It's your call, but be smart is I guess what we'll say. You know our stance here at the Media Boat Podcast by now. Yes, be one of the 100 million vaccinated or on your way to get vaccinated. Yeah. Either way, uh, interesting to see them making uh, Netflix making these deals um, and not surprising. Definitely not surprising. Uh, it's the step we assumed they were going to make. Yeah. Outside of possibly purchasing Aloe Draft House or other like theater chains. Yeah, we'll say but it. then you creep into that monopolistic vertical tier. I don't uh, think they're ready to go there quite yet. Right. Yeah. What is not as surprising, though, or maybe was surprising to some people, is that it's that time of year again. Marvel info drop. Yeah, we so had a little bit of a this Marvel was drought. Out of nowhere. Yeah, out of I nowhere. But yeah, we had a bit of a Marvel drought last year, as we all know. Uh, all the Marvel movies got pushed out of 2020 into 2021. We're on the precipice of new ones, but hey, why not learn about some ones even beyond those? The dates and titles for Phase 4 of the MCU have been confirmed, alongside new footage and a surprise drop. The next phase will see four films in 2021, four films in 2022, and two films in 2023 so far. As we know, Black Widow is slated for July 9th. That will also be available on Disney Plus premiere. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is slated for September 3rd. Eternals is slated for November 5th. Spider-Man No Way Home is slated for December 17th. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is slated for March 25th, 2022. Thor Love and Thunder is now at May 6th, 2022. And Black Panther, now with the subtitle Wakanda Forever, that would be Black Panther 2, now has a date of July 8th, 2022. The Marvels, which is Captain Marvel 2, will be November 11th, 2022. And the next Ant-Man and the Wasp, subtitled Quantumania, will be February 17th, 2023. And Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is slated for May 5th, 2023. I mean, 2023 seems like a long, long time in the future, but hey, at least you have something to look forward to. It might sound seem that way, but right now it is currently a year and just over a half <laughs> away. <laughs> We're getting there. So it's not that far behind. All these have, I mean, most of these have been shot. Yeah. I think Black Panther, Thor, and the Marvels are going into production, if not already in production. 
And yeah, so by two years from today, you'll be sitting in theater watching another Guardians of the Galaxy. So get prepped. Yes, but do note that it's tentatively capped at the end of Volume 3, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, tentatively capped because typically you would cap it with an Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case here. Yeah, interesting. So that's why think... it's tentatively yeah, what do you think uh, these is eight, ten, these ten films. What do you think is the case there? Do you think that this is them saying slyly maybe no Avengers movie this phase? Or is this trying to keep them that in the po- that that one in the pocket until they're ready to re- make the big reveal? I think you keep it in the pocket. Okay. Uh, there's no need to make a big reveal because even if you do 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 even if your big movie is that summer in say a July Fourth weekend of 2023, yeah, that's still so far out that <laughs> it's not. You don't know where things are going to be by that point. True. Very true. I'm sure there's something in the works. I'm sure there's talks about what that slot could be. Mm-hmm. Um, now, keep in mind, there are still there's still films that they announced, but we have no date for, including Blade mm-hmm. uh, with Mahershala Ali. Right. Um, and then there's also all of the potential X-Men and Fantastic Four rumors floating around as well, because if you end with that as your end of your phase four, that would be a big hitter that you'd want to make right and not technically announce right now. So my last question before we move on is, um, do you think that this was what they were originally slated for being their big Comic-Con stuff? Or do you think they're doing this now because they have something else for the Comic-Con time period they're doing this now so they can show footage during comic-con okay because why do both footage and release date (laughs) at comic-con i mean because it's traditionally what everybody does (laughs) yeah but also comic-con may or may not happen as we talked about last week not in person but what i'm saying that's why i said time period not at comic-con specifically so yeah, right, but it's only May. I mean, it is early for them to announce it. Yeah. I think they just want to get the titles out and show that initial footage from Eternals as well. Makes sense. So expect Chloe two-time director, or two-time <laughs> Oscar winner. Yeah, Academy Award winner. Academy Award winner. So well, wait for anyways. that trailer to drop eventually. Yeah, eventually. <laughs> when she's ready. All right, well, outside of the movies, Marvel did also have one little TV tidbit to share. As we know, Loki is their next limited series coming to Disney+. Plus. We were expecting it in June. Well, now we know a little bit more. It's going to be a Wednesday's show, not a Friday show like WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And the first episode will premiere on June 9th. So get ready for Loki. Yep, uh, that will also be six episodes like uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, Wednesday drops instead of Friday drops. Wednesday. Hey, podcast day drops. Hey. Which was going to make talking about the finale a little difficult, but we'll we'll get there when we get there. I mean, it might be talking about the premiere a little difficult, too. Yeah, so we'll figure figure something out. Uh, But lastly, um, in Marvel news, 
Um, Kevin Feige did an interview and did reveal that Doctor Strange was supposed to show up in WandaVision. Right. But that plan got scrapped um, as they wrote it more. Was that the same interview in which he was like, his mind was blown over a sunset? I think so, yeah. I saw some people <laughs> making fun of that. Rightfully the, so. The Eternals uh, interview. <laughs> Where he's just like, I can't believe, like, like you look at it and you're like, wow, amazing. And that has no effects in it. And it's like, yes, it has no effects in it. It's real life. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, okay. uh, uh, yeah, basically it confirmed what I had said um, when we talked about the WandaVision finale. Yeah. Which was that they made the show about Wanda. And they didn't have to bring in an extra person to like come and save the day because that's what the right. Doctor Strange character would have done. Come right, in don't... and save the day and be the help backup that you needed. Yeah, and the risk of that, if you do that, the risk on a storytelling level is that Wanda's arc does not fully complete because she didn't learn a lesson in, in, in a way. She didn't grow from the experience if she's right. rescued. So, Also, she's not the one that needed to be rescued in that movie. No. <laughs> in that show. <laughs> But we, we don't need to get into it now. Time. Yeah. Um, anyway. Anyway, we're talking about TV. We're talking about TV. Or no, we're still talking about movies. Oh. <laughs> no, we're talking about WandaVision and Falcon. You got, yeah, we got, TV. we got sidelined there uh, into Marvel TV land. But we're really talking about movies still. That's it for movie news. But we did watch a movie, or at least I watched a movie this week. Yes. So tell me about the Sony animated picture film Connected. Well, it's not called that. Although after watching the film, I see why some exec wanted to call it that because it's a semi-fitting name for this film. The actual name of the film is The Mitchells versus The Machines. And essentially all you need to know about this uh, movie is pretty explained in the trailer and any screenshots of it. It's about a family who just happens to be living during a robotic apocalypse and have to survive. But that's the surface level pitch of this thing. This movie is actually really about a relationship between a daughter and a father more than anything. But it's also also about technology, about the risk of letting a tech company get too big. It touches on a lot of subjects. But don't worry, it's a comedy first, as you want to expect from producers Phil Lord and Chris Miller, some of our favorites. Uh, did I reverse their names again? No, I didn't that's right. do that. I got them right. Okay, <laughs> just making sure. Um, so yeah, um, if you had seen uh, in the Spider Verse or any of the Lego Movie films, you know more or less what to expect. If you've especially seen Sony Animation films, the uh, Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs, you also know what to expect here. Just combine all of that in the blender, and you kind of get the vibe of this movie it's very colorful it's very light it's very funny but it can pull the emotional punches when it needs to and this movie does do it a few times um but yeah um i think it's an extremely really charming movie uh animation fans will love how creative the imagery is it's a cg movie but it's kind of subtly cel-shaded not unlike the video game borderlands but not as dramatic as that effect but it's subtly shaded to to make it look more like traditional hand-drawn animation. And then on top of that, it has layers of hand-drawn animation that act as kind of like the overactive imagination of the, of the hero uh, teenage girl, Katie. 
Um, and so, yeah, it's, 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 it's a surprisingly emotional story that does touch on some subjects that you'd be surprised that it does. But at the same time, it's super fast paced. Something is constantly happening on the screen. You get robot explosions. You get that action part as well as you, as the touching family moments. And you get that really punchy, funny script as you'd expect. The voice cast is great. They got a really good bunch of people in this. Abby Jacobson plays the lead. You have um, a couple of jokester robots. One of them is Fred Armisen. You know, it's what you expect from this kind of, from the Sony, uh, what they've delivered so far. Um, and I don't really want to say too much about the plot elements because I don't want to spoil some of the twists. Um, but yeah, it manages to do two things that surprised me. Uh, one, it's a movie that is about a father-daughter relationship, and yet it doesn't come across as Ugh, another movie about dads, which has been a problem with American animation for the last mm -hmm. few years. I mean, after Toy Story 4, that was kind of the, the story was, why are all the Toy Story movies now written for adults and about adult problems? It manages to avoid that by making the story making them come meet each other in the middle as opposed to the dad being the correct one. Um, and then also is a story about technology run rampant that never feels like it's just another, oh, we should stop looking at our screens, kind of the thing I was complaining about with uh, some of the episodes of Close Enough last season. Mm -hmm. It managed to, to avoid that too by making things even bigger and grander and and not necessarily making any sort of point, but also having the message meet in the middle as opposed to take a side. And yeah, you could make an argument that maybe it should have an agenda against the potential dangers of big tech, and it doesn't, but that's because it's a family movie. And so maybe hedge your expectations for that element of the story a little bit. But ultimately, it's a really fun ride. It's a lot of fun for a whole, whole family, maybe not the youngest of young children, there's some violent imagery against robots, sure, but still kind of violent when you stop thinking about it as robots for a second. So be warned if you have like a little five-year-old, maybe wait. Um, but other than that, it's really fun. It's funny. It's got a great soundtrack and it looks like no other animated film outside of maybe Spider-Verse. It's just an incredibly cool looking thing that you can tell a lot of animation-minded people like treated this as their like dream project and really worked hard on and it's on netflix so you could just see it if you have a netflix account which is nice although um i want to say that a full screen version of this would look amazing so like theater version yeah i would love to see this in a theater just all of this surrounding me uh but yeah it's really really good so yeah sony keeps knocking them out of the park i can't wait to see what they do next uh, yeah, I mean, Sony signed the deal with Netflix for first release. Or if this had anything to do with it. Um, I believe this predates that deal, but it does. But it might be it... the reason why they did it, because yes. it's just that incredible of a thing to look at. Um, so yeah, Netflix was right signing these guys, and I think that a lot of people will have a, a lot of fun watching this thing. So uh, yeah, it's a definite recommend, and I think uh, if you get a chance to check it out, you should. All right, sounds good. So that's connected on no. <laughs> that's Mitchell's versus the machines. Yeah. On Netflix. It sure is. Did you watch any movies this week? Uh I did. Yesterday. Star Wars. 
That's not a new movie. No, it's not. But if you're not watching Star Wars on Star Wars Day, are you even celebrating Star Wars correctly? Well, I didn't. And so I didn't, <laughs> is the answer to that. Um, oh, I did also watch everything but the last 20 minutes of Mortal Kombat. Not because I didn't want to watch the last 20 minutes of Mortal Kombat, uh, but because I ran out of time. Um, right. But I agree with everything you said last week about that movie, but it's a fun time. I actually was enjoying myself with that through that whole thing. Yes, it's stupid. Yes, the dialogue's bad. You have to accept that it's a dumb movie. But when you get past that, a lot of fun action sequences. I think the bickering between the characters is fun in a Fast and Furious-esque way. And so now part of me is actually hoping that they do make this a franchise because I just want that vibe to get even more Fast and Furious-y. I just want to see these people, like all these characters, just complain to each other all the time. <laughs> it's, it's nice. It's, I think it's a better movie than it needs to be, uh, than it has any right being. Uh, but don't spend money to see it right now. Just hop on your couch and watch it on HBO Max uh, if you have it, because it's just a fun, silly popcorn time. Of course. Um, this was my review last week. Yeah. My, my review, my thoughts on it last week. Yeah. I'm but yeah, uh, so you probably ended it right before the big battle then. Yeah, I just had that last battle to get through. Yeah. Where, where they fight. Yes. And I like the little silly references to the game. I was like, yep, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They tried to check that box. They did. All right. Oh, he said, test your might. That's cute. Check. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Mortal Kombat on HBO Max now. Go uh, check it out. But now it is time to move on to television. And we always start television with the Sports Corner. All right, sports happened. As we teased, not just last week, but the week before (laughs) as well. Last week was the NFL draft. As predicted, uh, Mr. COVID himself and Mr. Crypto Salesman Trevor Lawrence was your number one (laughs) overall draft pick. Uh, any other uh, uh, fun facts from the draft this week? Um, everything was expected until the 49ers decided to pick. Mm. They didn't tell who they were going to pick, kept it a secret, until they called Trey Lance. Okay. Um, quarterback, like literally minutes before they were going to pick him. They kept, kept it a secret. So congratulations, Trey Lance, for being the Number three pick in the draft going to a third-rate team. (laughs) But this does mean that expected draft pick uh, Mac Jones from Alabama, who was supposed to, who everyone thought was going to be the number three pick, fell and fell and continued to fall right into the lap of Bill Belichick. Oh. So he is now a Patriot, which means he gets to face off against former teammate Tua Tangvaloa twice a year now. (laughs) <laughs> whoops also uh, Heisman Trophy winner Devonta Smith went to the Eagles where he gets to play with also former teammate Jalen Hurts from Alabama uh-huh. uh, uh, and lastly but well I guess no lastly is correct because he was the last pick of the draft, Mr. Irrelevant. Yes, Mr. Irrelevant. Went to Grant Stewart, selected number 259 out of the draft. Congratulations on being Mr. Irrelevant. 
<laughs> we love to report on every year's Mr. Irrelevant. Well, someone has to. It's a media, tra- <laughs> it's media boat so tradition. If everyone reports on Mr. Irrelevant, does that not make him Mr. Irrelevant anymore, but rather the ultimate pick is more Mr. Irrelevant than Mr. Irrelevant? I think you're right. Yeah. But you'd have to take that to the, the NCAA of that one. Uh, we'll wait till it becomes relevant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Always. All right. But there was other sports that happened this week. Kind of. The NFL schedule, speaking of the NFL, is going to be released this coming week. So get excited for that. Uh, next week. Next, next week. Tuesday or Wednesday, I think. And the Kentucky Derby happened. Medina Spirit was your winner. A 12 to 1 shot. So if you put the 100 on there, you got a great 200. Actually, you get 1300 out of your money back plus the 1200. <laughs> yeah, plus. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, any other sports bits? It's pretty light sports week. It is a very light sports week because not a whole lot is wrapping up and or happening. Sports <laughs> continues to sport. Sports continues to sport. Sportsmen continue to do their thing on yep. the field. So the watch them on the ice, on the court, or on the field. Yep, on the field. Because those are your only ones that are happening right now. Yep. <laughs> so let's move on from sports and talk about television and news. Our first story takes us uh, to a territory we only occasionally talk about, but is uh, um, talent agencies. This time, ICM Partners. They're in a little hot water. An expose in the LA Times has called into question the agency's commitment to diversity and whether a toxic male culture and discrimination continues, despite public pledges to the contrary. According to the article, Quote, more than 30 former and current ICM employees said in interviews that the company tolerated a hostile work environment where women and people of color were subjected to harassment, bullying, and other inappropriate conduct. Sounds familiar. Yeah, doesn't it? Nearly a dozen women reported allegations of mistreatment by male agents and managers company-wide. Among the serious allegations include an agent exposing himself in a car, another agent attempting to kiss a client, and bullying toward low-level assistants, the same low-paid group who bore the brunt of abuse from producer Scott Rudin. Now, here on the Media Boat Podcast, we have not been talking about the Scott Rudin allegations. For some reason, they've slipped through our cracks. Uh, But generally speaking, you've probably heard um, of his accusations. So it's not super surprising that these talent agencies have the same issues happening because it's, it's been a tradition, unfortunately, in Hollywood for these organizations to have this kind of vibe. And stuff like this being um, reported on in a big venue hopefully will lead to big changes. What's it called? The open secret, yeah. but not so kept secret. Exactly. Assistants are constantly harassed or being paid to do menial tasks or labors mm-hmm. in order to climb the ranks, as they put it, and one day make the multi-million dollar deals, which this cycle would then repeat itself. Yeah. That's the stuff about this toxicity. It's not just a couple of people, typically. Uh, what they find typically in these situations is that it goes all the way to the top and it's been that way for so long that it's become the company like Aura 
and there's not it's really hard to get that out and make big changes unless you completely redo a lot of this company structure and um, relationship uh, between people with power and people without. And so, yeah, uh, this is just yet another example of that. But uh, hopefully, like I said, hopefully uh, getting this information out there, getting these allegations uh, to the forefront will uh, help them start to rebuild. Right. And hopefully not just this company, but it'll promote other people to come forward and express their stories as well. Yeah, hope so. But we'll see what the fallout happens from Hollywood. Should there be fallout? Some producers were named, in, sorry, producers, agents mm-hmm. were named in the, the piece from uh, from the LA Times. So we'll mm-hmm. see if any individual people have repercussions. Yeah. Um, ICM did state, in a, put in a statement that they wanted a 50% diversity. I think it was in 2017 by 2020. Well, we're 2021 now, and they have yet to meet that goal. Yeah. Um, also, in the article, they talked about how they pulled minority employees from other departments to, in order to dress them up for training videos to say, mm. see, we're a diverse group of people, but really, these are diverse group of people don't, you won't work with on a daily basis. Yeah. Tricky. So, that article came out today, uh, I think around noon so we'll see if any fallout happens from that but it's a hard-hitting piece so we had to talk about it yeah of course of course okay well with that let's move on to our second story here let me grab it which takes us to a familiar friend friend or like frenemy i suppose Disney. So they do a lot of business overseas, just like they do here, including television channels. Obviously, Disney owns a lot of different brands of television channels, both here and in other regions. Well, that's going to slowly get closed in the Southeast Asia and Hong Kong regions, as they're going to focus more on direct-to-consumer and streaming options, as opposed to traditional cable television packages. Among the list of Channels owned by Disney that are set to close in those regions include Fox, FX, Fox Movies, Fox Sports, Star Sports, Star being, of course, the branding that they use overseas and a lot of other areas for some of the products that they own, uh, Nat Geo People, the network there, Disney Junior, and Disney Channel. Only four Disney-owned linear channels will survive, Star Chinese, Star Chinese Movies, Nat Geo Channel, and Nat Geo Wild. Now, Disney Plus hasn't yet had a full rollout in that region, but Disney Plus Hotstar, a similar service, which includes those star properties, has been a success so far in Singapore, where it launched back in February. Disney and Fox channels have been part of a pay TV subscription packages in this area, so their closure may mean a downward presence on subscription prices, which would be good overall for everybody else involved. But this may hint at Disney planning on rolling out a star, Disney Plus star equivalent in those areas. Right. For international purposes, Disney uses star the same way they use Hulu here in the U.S. It's their overarching cover everything type of brand (laughs) that they don't want specifically associated with Disney. Kind of like what they did with Miramax back in the 
laid off. So and, and arguably what they're doing with Hulu right now in the States, which yeah. is let's keep like uh, stuff that's a little bit more adult, like our FX material over there. So we don't have to have it on Disney plus same idea. Same idea. Uh, we have reported on that uh, hot star being their go-to brand overseas and expanding it rapidly. And just like here in the States, they want that direct-to-consumer yeah. model. They have seen the future. They know what it looks like. And they're going to slowly do that to every region. And what it'll mean is that they're going to see a less of a focus on probably worldwide on probably their linear channels. Does this mean that eventually will we live in a world without a Disney channel? Potentially. But don't worry. This doesn't affect the U.S. yet. But who knows? We'll see. I mean, this could, I don't want to put speculation out there, but <laughs> this is their test for the U.S. It could be. Here's, um, this is me tinfoil hatting on it right now. <laughs> I don't even think it's a tinfoil hat because I think that, if anything, Disney's just getting ahead of something that I think that a lot of other similar media companies are thinking about right now, which is, hey, what if we did get out of cable? Like these cable companies, we have to negotiate them for so many expensive contracts every single year can we envision a world where we don't have to do business with comcast anymore and somebody in disney's uh like some sort of a board member on disney is probably like actually that sounds great let's get out of that deal and so this is probably on some sort of future like 2025 list of maybes i wouldn't be surprised. Well, it is because this article was pulled from a different article which was about the future of cable and the potential of networks dropping certain cable channels. It could happen. Well, not cable, but certain network channels. Like, yeah. if it's not needed or not watched, do we really need MTV2? I mean, yeah. That's, that, there's an logo argument. Logo or any of those? Yeah. Like, if they're, because they were putting up like how many viewers they got per month against each other and if you're it was one of the big reasons why NBC Sports decided to drop mm-hmm. off because yeah. they could subsidize that on different channels and not lose viewers because also, it wasn't pulling as many eyes. I mean also to relate a story that we talked about last week it's why HBO Max when they when Warner made this deal with the NHL that's why they're streaming involved in that as opposed to just networks because they probably also see a potential future in which People are getting their sports direct and are not going to cable for them. The internet age. Everybody thought that streaming was going to kill cable, but everybody thought the wrong way. Like no one would have envisioned this being the thing that did it. It's sports. It always has been. (laughs) It always will be. It's either porn or sports that, right? Like that uh, lead the charge to every new technology. All right. Speaking of porn and sports, no. Uh, <laughs> no, we didn't watch any porn and sports this week, but we did watch some television. Yes, um, we had uh, some series end and a series begin. Yes, as you mentioned last week, uh, this week marked the ending of the first season of two new NBC sitcoms, Keenan and Young Rock. We watched more or less both of these shows. I dropped off of Young Rock. You caught up and I finished it. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about Young Rock so we can get it out of the way. Good plan. So yeah, uh, I watched until about episode four or five of this thing, bounced right off of it. 
I think that the conceptually there's interesting things that it could do. Um, I think bouncing back between timelines is a risk that I don't know always paid off because they would have to write into the scripts at the end at the beginning of those episodes, be like, hey, remember what happened? Like have characters basically say, hey, remember what happened last time we were here in this timeline? Which was awkward. It um, is. And yeah, and it just didn't, and the charming moments did not last through the entire of episodes for me. And also the framing device with um, Dwayne Johnson running for president just seems just weird now, especially post-Trump. Not saying that he's a Trump-like figure, but just even thinking about a celebrity campaign for president just puts a bad taste in my mouth at this point, and I'm sure others as well. And so, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of baggage going on here, and and it's just not written well enough for me to keep my attention. Uh, But how did it end? How uh, did the the road to the end of the season go? Continued the very gimmicky, and yes, it does bounce around. Yeah. Outside of the first episode, you never have all three iterations of The Rock in a single right. episode. It's focused on one or the other. And it's kind of a grab bag in that way because you don't really know where it's going to end up like at the start of the episode. Uh, I guess unless you watch the previews, but I don't do that. So <laughs> it does end up as kind of a grab bag of, oh, where are we going on this, ad- this week's adventure with The Rock? Who are we catching up with this time? What storyline are we continuing? And it gets away from what we've come to know as that serialized comedic taste of each episode builds upon itself. Now, we know because it is a sitcom, everything kind of more or less works itself out in the end or you get more information than you did previously. It... uh, it's hard for me to go back to like the elementary school or high school days because we know everything ends up fine. He went on to college, right. played. So it's you get varying interests the more you go back to the younger days than you do with the older ones. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's not a whole lot to keep your interest when really what you're trying to do is like either look for the names that you kind of recognize that pop up as their younger selves or pays homage to something of a certain genre, 80s, 90s action or what have you. So So overall, it's just okay. Yeah. Part of me wishes that they had gone goofier with it. Like a show that I actually hadn't um, related to this one, but now I'm realizing, oh, there are actually some similarities. Remember Everybody Hates Chris? Yes. Similarly, that's a show about Chris Rock reflecting on his childhood, except that one I feel like was purposefully exaggerated in ways that Young Rock is not. Young Rock seems to want to keep relatively close to the real events of what happened, maybe taking some liberties here and there with the wrestling personalities. But besides that, being pretty grounded in reality, whereas I feel like Young Rock was able to play with those things a little bit more. Or Young Rock, sorry. uh, uh, everybody, everybody, hates hates everybody hates Chris. So if they had gone more in that goofy kind of wacky direction, I wonder if this would have, they would have found more to play around with. But I wonder if that's a Dwayne Johnson thing about making sure that, no, I want to tell these stories, these real stories that happened to me. And I, I wonder if that's limiting the show's creativity. I wonder if you 
wants it to be that way because obviously the more goofy, wacky characters we are centered around the wrestling family and everything mm-hmm. about wrestling in the 80s, 70s, yeah. and 80s. Which you're only getting when it's about the youngest version of the stories that they're telling. Yes. If the show is just that, maybe we'd be talking, but that's not. And so you only get that interesting part like every couple episodes. It's not... I see where you're getting at. Yeah. I see where you want it to be. It's not that. I don't think it's ever going to be that. <laughs> yeah. But it's The Rock. The Rock. Dwayne Johnson is his the rock. heavy producer. <laughs> it is his vision, yeah. and they're going to do it his way. There might be too many yes people, too many yes men in that corner. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But, I mean, We'll see, because spoilers, it got a second season. It did, yes. We'll get to renewals in a bit. Although, yes. it, it seems like a fairly cheap production to make, though. Especially when you Does use it? the same characters. Does it, though? Because I feel like it's... I feel like it it has a higher budget than certainly Keenan does, which we'll talk about in a moment. Mm. Um, so I don't know, actually, if that's fair. I feel like they've invested more money in this thing because it is a passion project for The Rock. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I think The Rock put a, I mean, The Rock's production company is a part of it, too, so. That might be more, to me, that's probably more likely why they renewed it, is because it's a big name in a time where they need big names to drive viewership. Right. So. So, So, big name wins, I guess. Will you be watching season two, though? Do you think you have enough interest to keep going on this train? Not a whole lot, no. Yeah. Because I don't... None of it really mattered between the eras of how he overcame his... Well, none of it really matters because you know he ends up being The Rock. So it's like the fun has to come from the other characters and the interactions and the writing. And if that's not strong enough, then it might lose people, which is has been doing. Right. Yeah. So... Let's go over to its lead-in, then. It's lead-in, right? Uh, Actually, weirdly enough, no. Young Rock is the lead-in to Keenan. Okay. Yeah, which is probably smart, because I'm sure the execs were like, no, The Rock's going to bring him in, and we want them to stay around for the weirder, more experimental show. Although I'm being generous there. I don't think Keenan is very weird or experimental. But in comparison (laughs) to Young Rock, it kind of is. Um, I really like this show. I mean, I've been on record saying that already. Um, but after now finishing season one of this thing, I think it's a perfect middle ground from being between typical sitcom vanity project for comedian. You know, look back in the history of times and you can see tons of comedians that have had their name on their own sitcom to varying results obviously you have Seinfeld over here on the super successful version of that and you have really f- forgettable ones like remember the John Mulaney sitcom and so yeah <laughs> exactly my point uh, I was with the Whitney Cummings sitcom oh yeah yes. or Whitney yeah Whitney actually had a couple seasons though so uh but yeah and so somewhere in that they managed to find a perfect middle ground where it's interesting enough to not to be a boring vanity project 
but not and it's kind of weird but it's not so weird that it goes into like how this how is this on tv like 30 rock territory it somehow straddles a line where it's just weird enough that i'm like huh all right but not so weird that i'm like baffled by it and i think it's a perfect zone for right now it's comfort food but it's good comfort food that's well written and with likable characters and with a plot that's actually going sort of somewhere and a surprising cliffhanger at the end of the season um but yeah i think that it's a perfect blueprint for a show that i could see going multiple years it does have your typical uh, sitcom traits of will they, won't they? Yes. Uh, the chaos house, uh, the work <laughs> versus um, home life. But it really starts off in a very somber note of the death of Keenan's wife. Right, right. And getting over, not necessarily getting over it, but continuing on past it. Mm-hmm. And when it started off with that, like, oh, you're going to start here mm-hmm. on like what's considered in most people's life, their lowest point and make a comedy about it? I don't know. But that's the thing, is that they found a way to do it where it doesn't seem like you're wallowing in the depression of it. They make it a plot point so that way the show overall is about Keenan being better, learning how to be better, and being a better father, being a better host, being a better friend. And so I think that having that emotional thing always being the foundation behind that growth is a smart device and they don't hammer it too much for you to feel like uh we're going because yeah remember back when we were talking about um zoe's extraordinary playlist that show has the problem has a problem with that tonal whiplash where it keeps bashing you in the head with the reminder about the father character and how he's sick and now he's never going to be the same and then having another character who also has a tragic backstory and it just got too much for me, where I was just like, all right, get we get it, but what is the show? What are you trying to do with it? This never runs into that problem. It remembers the entire time that it is, it is a sitcom, first and foremost. It remembers that priority one is to be funny. And that keeps it from getting too deep into the, oh, but his wife died kind of zone. Just brings it up just enough, peppers it in every once in a while to remind you, but it doesn't smack you with it. I think that's really smart yeah it does bring it up at least once an episode that wife Corey died or yeah i'm a single dad when i feel like it doesn't need to but at the same time it does work it in at least once an episode <laughs> and, and yeah i mean it's for contextual purposes um but i think when it works as a plot point it works pretty well um, and they have fun with it too, like the episode well, where yeah, no, her spirit that. comes back as a squirrel. Like there's fun things that they do with it as opposed to just focusing on the sadness. Right. And it doesn't never seems forced, like, oh, yeah. I forgot I have to tell you that this happened to me. It's never forced, it always seems natural, which is a good writing technique. Yeah. Also, something I just uh I didn't real think about before, but is a fair comparison, I think. It does the real smart thing that I think shows are starting to do, but maybe had a problem with for a long time. For a long time, of course, especially in the 2000s and the 2010s, television was obsessed with the anti-hero, right? I feel like we're try- finally crawling out of that with shows like Ted Lasso and The Good Place, shows that are inherently about improvement and being better and about good people 
who are to be, who are good to each other. And I think this is another example of that trend. I can't think of a single person in this show that isn't likable. They're all likable in their own ways. They have flaws, sure, but there's not a necessarily a villain. There's not necessarily a feeling that there's an antagonist. The antagonists in the show are either the characters themselves, like Keenan fighting against something that he doesn't necessarily agree with, or they're more like metaphorical, like the struggles of work, the struggles of being a father. And I think that makes it really, again, like comfort food, watchable, like a watchable show, because you're not constantly thinking like, even at, with like 30 Rock, uh, like, oh, these people are terrible. You're never thinking that. You're rooting these characters on in a Ted Lasso-esque way. You want them to succeed because they're good people and they're good to each other. Right. There is no overarching, I'm the villain, I'm going to try and destroy your career. It's all, mm -hmm. as the name implies, situational comedy. <laughs> a lot of situation that becomes inherently funny. A lot of foot and mouth or trying to backpedal phrases. It's and written I, funny. Yeah, and I wonder how much of this is the fact that we haven't had as a traditional of a sitcom in a while, because I'm sure a lot of people are probably listening to this and be like, You're, he's just describing a sitcom. They're just describing what a sitcom used to be. And something changed within the last couple decades where that isn't a sitcom anymore. And so maybe it's bringing back some of that old school kind of energy, which is maybe one of the reasons why I like it. But at the same time, though, I also see it as part of that larger trend. And I don't necessarily think that it's unique to Keenan. Um, but still, it's, it's kind of amazing that it works the way that it does, uh, as well as it does. And I hope, I hope other people are watching this, is kind of my hope. Because I feel like this is something that could easily slip through the cracks. Uh, spoiler again, it did get renewed, thank God. But if it hadn't, I can't say I would have been surprised. Because I feel like something like this is probably not as big of a name as Young Rock. And I could have seen it easily being missed by a lot of people. But I'm hoping that maybe a second season gets the gears running a little bit, gets more eyeballs on it. And maybe we have a Ted Lasso-esque word of mouth success over time with this thing. I'm really crossing my fingers. It did end on a kind of a classic cliffhanger of, moving away or starting yeah. new projects will they ever be back it makes you that's obviously writers hedging their bets mm -hmm. because they of course wrote the, i can tell that they wrote that episode no not knowing whether they're going to be picked up again because it leaves them a nice little ending they can just say if it doesn't get picked up it's like yeah he took the job right <laughs> so yeah it's it'll be really interesting to see what they do with the second season because that is a big change potentially to the show and what the show is depending on that decision so We'll see. Well, even the end of Parks and Rec, the first season, ended kind of the same way. Yeah. They didn't know. Mm-hmm. So. So we'll see, but it, uh, spoilers, I mean, as you said, it did get a second season. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. Matter of time. But you watched one more show, though, that wasn't an end of a season, but instead the beginning, and it swings us back to yesterday, May the 4th. Yes. So, Star Wars Day, Disney greeted us with a new series. Yeah. Well, new-ish, because it's the same animation style as The Clone Wars, which they gave us the final season last year. This year, they took one episode from that final season, took those characters that they introduced in one episode, <laughs> and made an entire spin-off of it. 
and rightfully so because those characters were interesting and I wanted more episodes with them. And you got them. It's interesting how you can write new characters in and make such an impact that they deserve their own episode. See Frasier from Cheers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But so the animation team has created a new Star Wars series, Star Wars The Bad Batch, in which it follows a series of clones who have been specifically enhanced to where they're technically defective because they're not clones, they're not one-for-one clones, but they are enhanced in specific areas, and together they form a bad batch of clones, but really, (laughs) that can be taken as that's one bad batch of clones. Because <laughs> these five clones kick ass. Now, instead of following the stories of these of these clones during the Clone Wars, it does something interesting and will bridge the gap between Clone Wars and Rebels with telling the story of the Bad Batch from the end of Clone Wars, where the series ended and where episode three ended, and continue from there as it shows the Empire gaining from the Galactic Republic. It goes from the Empire to the Republic. Yeah, and so they're basically going against their programming. Well, they're the bad batch, so the programming was never written. Right, right, right. To follow Order 66. Yes. So if you're a Star Wars fan, you know what that is. Yes. <laughs> you, you know Order 66. Yeah. So because they were considered the bad batch, they never followed that directive and were kind of blindsided by what everyone else was doing, mm-hmm. which was executing Order 66. So this is their journey. We only had one episode, but this is their journey from that point forward, which is really smart because it's an unknown point. We don't really have a whole lot of journey and storytelling from episode three to episode four. Mm-hmm. Well, really, episode three to Rogue One because that leads into episode four. You do have Solo here and there, but that's not a whole lot of directly tied to Star yeah, Wars no. canon. Uh, it's a one-off shoot, but really interested to see where this goes. Uh, these characters were, like I said, really a hit in that single episode they were introduced, which was also called The Bad Batch, but <laughs> really interested to see where they go from here, because these are five interesting characters, and that's what makes a good show, is yeah. your characters have to be interesting from the beginning. You have to make me care about them, and it is a good job. But then again, these are the same writers who wrote for Clone Wars, mm-hmm. and that was a well-written show as well. So yeah, uh, beyond that one episode that this acts as a spinoff from, do you need to have a lot of knowledge of the prior Clone Wars show to enjoy what's going on here? If you have just general knowledge of Star Wars Clone Wars, mm-hmm. um, it does a pretty good job of starting off picking up pieces that you would know from the movies. And starting off from there as your jumping point. There's okay. about five scenes within the first 30 minutes that 
as a Star Wars fan, you should be able to recognize, oh, this is from episode three right here. You don't necessarily need to watch The Clone Wars. I mean, you should. It's a great series. But you don't necessarily need to watch The Clone Wars to understand this series if you've seen mm-hmm. episode three and know and can easily pick up where this was said. So it's obviously being communicated here and that follows that timeline and goes from there. Right. But then again, those scenes are like the big scenes. They're the set piece scenes that you would know from watching the film. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, last question before we move on. Um, do they have they said how long this is going to be? Like when the season is going to last? Like is it going to be a short kind of ten episode? I thing? don't know if it's supposed to be a mini series or mm-hmm. a short season or who knows if it gets picked up for even more. It's a Disney Plus show, so right. anything goes. Who can say? Um, okay, well, who knows then? Um, but yeah, interesting nonetheless. So yeah, Star Wars fans, check it uh, out. Weekly episode, so okay. we won't be talking about this till the end. Yeah. But if it's anything like this first episode, I intend to love it all the way through. Cool. Well, that's good news for y'all who love the Star Wars. Check that out on Disney Plus. In the meantime, it's time to talk about cancellations and renewals all right what am i no longer watching well amazon prime is bringing back invincible for two more seasons so a third season is on its way soon the duchess got canceled over at netflix after just one as we mentioned keenan and young rock are coming back to nbc for a second season of each and then what else do we got? The Last Kingdom will have its uh, last, its last season will be or its fifth season will be its last on Netflix. Kung Fu on the CW will get renewed for a second season. Star Girl also on the CW coming back for a third season. The Good Doctor, one of your favorites on ABC, gets a fifth season. FX has picked up Mayans MC for fourth season. And ABC is bringing back The Big Sky, or just Big Sky, for a second season. Netflix also canceled The Irregulars after just one season. And TBS will introduce, the I, I believe this is the final season of Proper Conan uh, on June 24th. No, not introduced. Well, I read that was going to be his last day before going to HBO. Oh, okay. Well, you had no context there. Uh, but, okay, so the but, last well, TBS the context, episode though. of Conan. You will be canceled on June 24th by TBS. Okay, there we go. Thank you. <laughs> you just say and then, I don't know sure if it's season or year, but the next time you see Conan will be on HBO Max in a new right. weekly show. Some so That's whatever that, that ends up being. Mm-hmm. And we have one more one death to ca- talk about this week. Uh, Olympia Dukakis, age 89, was an actress in movies such as Moonstruck and Steel Magnolias, won the Oscar back in 1988. So, uh, yeah, definitely a storied career. Um, yeah. Yep. All right. Let's move on, why don't we, into the next section, which is Music. As, as you take a drink of water. Up here because yeah. <laughs> we always start music with the billboard. Or we always start the billboard with the hot 100. And that's why you had to drink water because it's so hot. It gets hot in here when you talk about the hot 100. Yeah, so hot you might even cry. But yeah. save your tears because Ooh. save your tears 
Yes. Is the number one song this week by but with the a catch. Weekend and Ariana Grande. So yes, this is specifically the number one song this week is the remix featuring Ariana, not the original version, which had already charted on the top five. Right. They're charting it as a new one or a remix by Ariana Grande or featuring Ariana Grande. Yes. And Ariana Grande. Uh, that means that number two, Leave the Door Open by Silk Sonic. It's number two song. Uh, three is Peaches by Justin Bieber, featuring Danielle Caesar and Gibeon. At four, Rap Star by Polo G. And rounding out your top five, Levitating by Dua Lipa, featuring Da Baby. If all that yep. sounds familiar, this <laughs> is the only number one song was the only one that moved. Yep. Yep. As for your album chart, your Billboard 200. At number one, A Gangsta's Pain. By Moneybag, yo. <laughs> yes. At two, Young Stoner Life, colon, Slime Language 2 by Young Thug and various artists. <laughs> At three, Dangerous, colon, the double album by Morgan Wallen. Charting in Place of Heart. At number four <laughs> is Soul by Eric Church. And rounding out your top five is Justice by Justin Bieber. Not a whole lot of change this week. Um, just a couple of new number ones for you. A couple of new number ones. Also, Soul instead of Heart. Or yep. Heart and Soul, both charting back-to-back weeks. But if you did not like any of those albums, we have new releases. Do. Yeah, we do. Big week. Including the Marfa Tapes. <laughs> Marfa. No, not Why did you say that name? Not Mar- Martha. Marfa, the place. Yeah, Marfa. <laughs> Marfa. Anyways, keep going. The Marfa <laughs> tapes by Jack Ingram, Miranda Lambert, and John Randall. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a collab album. Yes. We also have Seek Shelter by Ice Age, not the movie. You yeah, and you Scrat the Squirrel. You and Me by Nancy Wilson. When Got Was Great by typo. the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. <laughs> yes, those Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Yes. Uh, we also have Set in Stone by Travis Tritt. Latest Record Project, colon, Volume 1 by <laughs> Van Morrison. Yes, Van Morrison. <laughs> yes. Not to be confused, that album with Van Weezer, yes, which is an album by Weezer. Too many Vans this week. Um, I was thinking the other day. Um, I might as well put this idea on recording while I'm thinking about it. The thing the other day is that if we ever sold merch, we should have a T-shirt that says "The Media Boom Podcast." Yes, that Media Boom Podcast. <laughs> it's become such a running joke at this point. Anyway. <sighs> So you, uh, give us an email or leave it in the comments and tell us if you'd buy that shirt. Yes, that shirt. <laughs> yes, that shirt with like asterisks. That shirt. Yes, that shirt. <laughs> uh, anyway. A lot of running gags. We could and just on the back, it just says, it's a business. <laughs> it's a business. We know podcasts. It's a business. It's a business. Just on, on the business card, it's a business. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Anyways, uh, let's get some music news, shall we? 
Media uh, Boat favorite, usually... the Media Boat podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So we recently had the Grammy Awards um, last month. And, well, they're at it again. Well, By they, I mean, the Recording Academy. They've announced uh, today that oh, it has day. made significant changes to the Grammy Awards process, which including uh, the elimination of nearly all of the controversial secret nominating committees that made final decisions about which artists and or recordings were nominated in certain categories, including the big four general field of album, song, record, and best new artists. The committees, compromised of industry executives and experts (laughs) whose names were not publicly revealed, came under fierce criticism before the 2021 Grammys when The Weeknd, as should I say, number one Billboard Hot 100 artist, The Weeknd, who had one of the most critically and commercially successful recordings uh, in years with his After Hours album and Blinding Lights single, did not receive a single nomination. The Weeknd later said that he would still boycott the Grammys due to the committee's uh, nominations. Mm. Uh, The committees do remain in place for craft categories such as producer, packaging, and liner notes. However, those have been the object of much less controversy than the categories for which the committees have been eliminated for being those top four. So yeah, the conversation that kind of followed the weekend's comments last year did reveal to a lot of people who didn't know that these secret committees exist uh, that help mm-hmm. whittle down these nominations. And so yeah, this is the Recording Academy's version of being like, all right, all right, okay, we heard you guys. You're worried that you know us locked away with a secret panel of people uh, deciding us on our own is probably not the best way of doing this. Sure, fine. We'll rewrite how we do the voting then. Are you happy? And of course, the result is the weekend case because he made a statement saying, yeah, still going to boycott y'all, but I guess it's a step. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm glad they're making changes, but still, I don't care. Um, and yeah, I feel like that's probably going to be the vibe you're still going to get because as predicted, it's very, very hard for them to completely re- win a back a bunch of respect after completely snubbing one of the biggest recordings of the year. It's going to be hard to get their image back after that. Even do even making moves like this is not going to move the needle that much. I guess it's a hearts and minds thing. So maybe over time, if they keep making adjustments, and hey, if we see a much wider range of nominations next year because of this change, maybe it's worth it. But for now, it feels like it's still not enough. We did note that this past Grammys was basically a doubling down on <laughs> Billie Eilish winning the previous year. I mean, she, let's be fair, she took a home like two Grammys, but still. Yes. Um, yeah. They, nonetheless, it did seem like they were continuing where they left off. Right. And The weekend did make enough noise that the Academy is changing its rulings, at least on the big four categories. So it's a step, but like the weekend said, not a big enough step for him to rescind his boycott. Yeah. So the strike is still on. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see if this makes an actual difference or not. Only a matter of time. 
Speaking of making a difference, the <laughs> Los Angeles Police Department is making a difference. Sort of. If you're Lady Gaga. Yeah. <laughs> because they have arrested five suspects allegedly involved in the February 24th shooting of Lady Gaga's dog walker and the kidnapping of her two French bulldogs. Three of the suspects, who I will not be naming, have been charged with attempted murder, conspiracy to commit robbery, and second-degree robbery, according to prosecutors. According to police, the three are documented gang members who targeted the bulldogs because they knew of their high value. They were not aware that Gaga was the owner. Yeah, I remember mentioning this specifically after the story ran when we were talking about the original story because apparently her dogs are rare breed of whatever specific breed they are and so they probably had no idea they were gaga's dogs and sure enough that's the case right two additional defendants are accused of acting as accessories after the fact though uh one of them is said to have returned the dogs to the police two nights later yes prompted by the offer of a five hundred thousand dollar reward this is key I guess what they figured out was the person who returned the dogs was involved. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, uh, they were in a relationship with one of the suspects. <laughs> as soon as you said you were going to read the names, I was like, oh, this is going to make the back end of this story really hard for him to talk about. <laughs> who was the father, <laughs> which is also a gay member. <laughs> yes. It makes more sense when you have the names. Uh, but yes, uh, that's the gist of it. All you really need to know is that they, the police were able to figure out that the person even who returned the dogs was not just an innocent bystander. They were involved in this operation, uh, this gang operation. Uh, so yeah, goes to show you. I mean, the reward of $500,000 was probably a lot more than what they were going to get for the dogs. I mean, debatably, I don't know actually how much those dogs are worth. Maybe it's not. Maybe they were like, let's at least get some money out of this if we can't successfully sell the dogs. Because clearly, they must have decided that because they ended up just giving them right back. Well, I mean, once it got on the news that Lady Gaga's dogs were stolen, they're like, oh, we have her dogs? Well, we can't sell these. They'll just get reported. So (laughs) let's claim the prize money while we can. Yeah. I don't know. It's a weird story that got weirder as it went on, but uh, at least the dogs are back in Gaga's possession. So, yes. But man, sucks for that dog walker. Still, I feel like every single story about this seems to ignore the fact that, dude, that guy, the person got shot. Let's talk about that for a second, guys. Right. Yeah, we're talking about the dogs here, and yeah. someone got shot for it. Someone did get shot, and yeah. But I'm glad that there's, you know, say what you will about the police. We're not a, really that pro-police of a podcast. But what I will say is, is that it sucks that this happened to this poor dog walker who was just doing their job. And yeah, so at least some sort of um, comeuppance happened to the perpetrators, but it's not going to be enough to make up for the fact that that dog walker got shot. Like, let's make that clear. Anyway. Anyways, um, let's talk about some music thoughts. You listen to something. Yeah, you told me to listen to something last week, so I listened to something, and I regret it, so I blame you. <laughs> what did um, I tell you to listen to? You didn't tell me to listen to anything specific. You were just like, I had the thoughts for so long, you don't ever have thoughts anymore for music. And I'm like, okay, fine, I'll listen to something. <laughs> so I dug through the new releases, found something relatively uh, notable. 
Um, so Ashley Monroe, if that name sounds familiar, uh, she's been bouncing around the country music industry over the last couple decades. She had some hits back in the mid-2000s and kind of just has been coasting along. Um, she's also part of the uh, super group of sorts, uh, Pistol Annie's with Miranda Lambert. Um, so she's been around um, in the scene for a while and been making music almost every year. Her newest record, Rose Gold, came out last week. And um, I'm here to tell you that, uh, yeah, it's not very good. Mm. And here's why. From the jump on this thing, you can tell she was like in the back of her mind or maybe somebody told her like maybe some sort of executive had this in mind. Hey, Casey Musgraves had a big crossover hit with Golden Hour. Let's do crossover. But this is a very 2021 version of that word. I mean, think back to the 2000s when Shania Twain was releasing pop versions of a record or even Taylor's first couple records had pop versions of the singles. Um, it's not that anymore. Crossover now means let's experiment with the sound. Let's put hip hop elements in like some like drum beats, like that kind of vibe is what they're going for here. So not quite golden hour, but the concept of golden hour, which is let's go beyond what the genre of country typically allows us to do. Except here, it does not work and does not help Ashley Monroe's sound at all. It just leads to every song being kind of muddy feeling and if you take the vocals out and put them in a traditional country song this could be a pretty good record but the fact that they spent so much time on thinking about how experimental and different they could be it just bogs the whole project down and so i didn't have much fun listening to this thing um your mileage may vary um people out there i mean if this is not if you're not as distracted i guess by the production here you might have a fine time but it doesn't also help that the songs are not that strong uh, by themselves either. Um, yeah, I was just kind of bored by it by the end. Nothing really in, like exciting or anything to write home about here, uh, which sucks because I feel like Ashley has a good voice. I think she's proven over the years to be great when um, given the correct uh, tools to work with, and these are not it. So yeah, disappointing, uh, but Rose Gold is out now if you want to check it out, but uh, I think it's a pass. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> <clears throat> it exists. That's all that I can really say. So yes, take note, country artists, if you want to do crossover music, work with producers that understand what that means, not producers that will just toss in some drum beats and call it a day. Just be warned. <laughs> so. Okay. All right, so let's round this out. Ooh, we're going pretty fast. Cooking with video we're cooking games. this week. Cooking. cooking with gas. Yep. Uh, we start video games with new releases. We always do. As we always do, and they include Skate Skitty, Skate Skate, 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 skate City. City. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> skate City for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Metro Exodus Enhanced Edition for the PC. Hood, colon, Outlaws and Legends for the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. And lastly, your big release of the week. If you haven't pre-ordered it, you're probably not getting it because no review is going to change your mind. Resident <laughs> Evil Village. Resident Evil 7 
village? Yeah. Eight village? Re- Resident Evil Sevenage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, no, it's eight. That's right. It's, it's on seven. Re- Resident Evil Eight Age. Uh, yeah. But yes, Village, the new Resident Evil out this week. For the PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. Yep. No Switch version. No Switch version. Not yet, at least. Not yet. All right. So let's get into some video game news, shall we? And we have some hot ones this week. Yes. The first story we have is not on here, but we need to talk about it because it was all over the internet and you're wearing the hat for it. Uh, Okay. So, yeah, I was hesitant to report on this because it's like not really video game news. It's like video game culture news. And these other two stories that I actually wrote were actually more important i feel big picture wise but yeah if you want to talk about it real quick or do you yeah. want me to talk about it? i mean uh <laughs> I, I just was reading the feed that the four main guys were three main guys were leaving okay so i guess to inform you about what's going on because yes. it seems like you're a little unclear too <laughs> no i just thought they were leaving like it was yeah, like the world was ending it's not going to be the same and okay so and the, the end times are near <laughs> So Giant Bomb, um, website about video games. Uh, you're probably familiar about it if you're in the video game circles. Um, I'm wearing their hat right now. Um, they're a huge influence on me and pod- the way that I approach podcasting in general. Uh, I've been listening to them for the last 11 years of my life, maybe 12. So goes to show you uh, how much of an influence it is. And having that in my ears every, every week since then has been wild to think about. Because it's like having a weird like parasocial relationship with people you've never met. Anyway, apparently I'm not the only person because yeah, when the news broke that three of the semi-original founders of the site, not necessarily the people who've been there through, since day one, but foundational members that have been there for the bulk of the site's existence are, were leaving or are leaving at the end of this week. People like me who had this kind of relationship with the site did kind of get a little upset and a little worried about the future. Um, They're moving on to other things, not really clear what quite yet, so no word on whether they're moving on to other projects or just taking breaks, you know, spending time with their families, whatever it is. So that specifically, in case you want to know uh, who I'm talking about, is Brad Shoemaker, uh, Alex Navarro, and uh, Vinny Caravella. They've all been with the site since about uh, 2010, 2011. Uh, So yeah, been a long time. That's a decade plus. Um, anyway, Giant Bomb as an entity is not going away, which is the good news after this. Uh, they did bit, get bought by a new corporate uh, parent a couple or at the end of last year. That is not necessarily why these departures are happening, but it may be related to it, but we're unclear about the details. Uh, maybe they just figured that this was a good time to move on so the site can go through a complete overhaul because that's what it seems like is going to happen. Um, it seems like there's a lot of consolidation happening on the corporate front. So what that site is going to be going forward is up in the air. And so this gives them a lot, uh, gives them the time and the, uh, the, the wherewithal to hit that reset button. And if it means that they lose some of that original talent, Hey, maybe we gain some new ones, you know, like maybe we'll see some new blood there. We'll see some new experiences, new different kinds of, uh, kinds of content from them that we didn't see before and this allows them to have that blank slate to work with so um 
Yeah, it sucks to lose people uh, at anything. I I kind of like liken it to your favorite band breaking up in a lot of ways. But imagine, but it's kind of more close to uh, a sitcom losing a bunch of its stars and having to recast and pivot. That's kind of more like what this is. So yeah, uh, we'll see what happens. But uh, ultimately, they'll continue to be something that I have my eye on. I'll continue. Uh, but yeah, I definitely owe a lot of... Um, gratitude and uh to the work that those three have done over the years so uh yeah godspeed and good luck uh we'll miss them but uh overall i think that it's an opportunity for a new beginning which is also kind of nice so we'll see okay so you put it a lot lighter than what i was reading because <laughs> the end is me here so that's the thing. Over. <laughs> i think a lot of people are very quick to say that because oh well they've been there the whole time if they go what's left and I feel like the danger of that is, is not leaving yourself open to what could potentially be a kind of cool new thing, right? Yes, it might be something different, but change can sometimes be good. And we don't know what the new version of the site's going to be. So that's why I'm like hesitant to freak out. It was kind of sad yesterday, but hey, understandably so. But I'm ready to see what the next opportunities are. Right. Not um, all change is bad. Yeah, not all change is bad. So yeah, we'll see what happens with them, but uh, they'll still be, still be an inspiration, still be something that I follow. So uh, I'm looking forward to it and um, looking forward to whatever the other guys do going forward in their careers as well. All right. All right. So, now let's talk about actual news. That was actual news. <laughs> All right. Actual, like life impacting video or, game news to in this case consumers. business impacting news which this oh, actually I'm not, might I'm be. not trying to undersell it because we're talking about Apple versus Epic Store. This is brewing to be potentially video game story of 2021 right here. Ooh. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves but I'll get choked up there. Wow. Yeah, yeah, a little it's, bit. But it's May. Yeah, I know it's May, but this is only going to continue. So right. tell us so, about it. Epic of the Epic Game Store. So just looking to talk. Real quick, before you start reading, I just want to say this is basically a bullet pointed list, more or less, updating what's currently happening with the Epic and Apple lawsuit because okay. the, the trial just started this week. So these are okay. things that have been discovered from the actual trial. So, as we have been reporting on then, Epic is looking to take on Apple's mm-hmm. standard 30% cut and, in a broader sense, uh, continue the long war against closed platforms Mm. and closed iOS systems. In 2016, Tim Sweeney uh, aimed his weapon of Epic Game Store at Microsoft and accused them of trying to monopolize the PC gaming, which has always been relatively open compared to consoles. Yeah, so this is just continuing kind of the vibe that Epic has had for years, except now they have a very specific and powerful target. Right, which is Apple. Mm-hmm. Who desperately needs to fight the lawsuit off? So mm-hmm. it does. So it does not set a precedent that the industry-wide thirty percent standard is unfair or can be circumvented. While Apple hasn't presented the exact number, estimates suggest that Apple makes close to one billion dollars off the relatively passive cut, which would make a big hit to the revenue should it ever be subverted. That's. Yeah. 30% making $1 billion in revenue. So quick note about that point. 
what this sort of started was a conversation, a larger conversation in the business about other companies and what they take cuts from and their, um, or how much of a cut they take from their uh, marketplace. And the conversation expanded to Microsoft actually making a change themselves. Um, right, we'd report on them cutting it down to 12%. Yeah, so they cut their piece, specifically their PC marketplace revenue mm -hmm. down to 12% from the prior 30. So it's just PC and it's just their store. This doesn't affect the Xbox market, although apparently documents involved like related to this case came out suggesting that Microsoft at one point had thought about doing that cut for their console marketplace as well. However, now they came out and pretty much said this week that they have no plans on doing that anytime soon. But yeah, this is start. So this conversation from this trial has started having this uh, conversation throughout the industry about how much should these marketplaces be cutting off the top. Well, in the first day of the trial, Epic CEO Tim Sweeney took the stand to talk about baseline knowledge of consoles, streaming services, and Fortnite's role in those platforms. Among other things, it was discovered that had a that Sony not Microsoft, not yeah. Apple's, Sony had a royalty plan in place for developers to pay the company if cross-play games were not sufficiently even in terms of playtime or money spent <laughs> on the game. This makes sense because if you recall some of the conversations we had towards the end of the PS4 life on this very podcast, those stories that were coming about, out about how all these companies wanted to do cross-play and Sony, Sony was putting didn't. the kibosh on it, Mm -hmm. This makes sense. They were in the back basically trying to think of how many ways could they try to prevent crossplay from being a thing. And it looks like one of them was to make the developers pay a royalty on top of things to Sony if they could not prove that crossplay would be beneficial to Sony's platform. Makes sense, right? Sony wanted mm -hmm. so badly not have to do it, and we all forced their hand, especially Microsoft. And so now they basically have to play nice, but they fought it tooth and nail. Thank you, Rocket League and <laughs> Minecraft. And Fortnite. And it was Fortnite? definitely, Fortnite, remember, was the Fortnite one. Credit, but... <laughs> remember, that's actually what started it because Fortnite had said, oh yeah, we can prove that it's in the code. Sony just needs to, because I guess somebody had leaked it cross-play yeah. active on the ps4 version of fortnite and then they were like they had to come out with the story epic did where they were like oh yeah no we have it in there we baked it in there because we want it in there sony's the one that has to press the button to turn it on we don't have control over that and that made sony have to field that and it started the conversation about them changing their policy well what about the switch what about the switch well at one point epic's lawyer presented Tim Sweeney with a Switch and two Joy-Cons as a means to identify the Switch as different from other devices like phones or personal computers. <laughs> he was unable to assemble the system and admitted he's not a Switch player, which <laughs> is this hilarious. Was, this was not super relevant to the story, but it is just really funny that Tim Sweeney has never held a Switch. <laughs> but you just slide the Joy-Cons. It's right there though no, <laughs> so. it's funny a, a thing that fortnite play you can play fortnite on he has no idea what the hell it is <laughs> <laughs> well during the second day of the lawsuit 
uh, Anash Patel, director of product management at NVIDIA, took the stand as Epic's witness. He was there to testify about how the company's GeForce Now app had to make an end run around Apple's app rules after it was rejected by the Cupertino company. So yeah, this is important because we kind of knew that Epic was going to want other companies that had the same kind of experience with Apple in their side. And this is one of them. It was a big story uh, last year when NVIDIA had basically made public their debate with Apple about letting GeForce Now streaming um, occur on the app I, I, uh, on the Apple on the Apple App Store. It got that conversation going last year about what about these other things? Because um, if you recall, Microsoft was also saying that they were going to try to figure out a a workaround for the iOS version. Google was talking about it for Stadia as well. There was, all these streaming companies were trying to figure out how to get around Apple's specifically Apple's weird thing about wanting to rate each game individually as opposed to just letting a streaming service go. Um, So yeah, this is important for Epic because Epic needs any proof that they've gotten that it's not just them, that Apple is prohibiting a lot of different companies from putting like fairly priced, or in this case, their apps at all on their store. And I think he's got a very good point here. There's a point. Strong witness. And yeah. It's strong practice, but the question isn't, are they doing it? The question becomes, is it lawful? Right. And so, yeah, that's ultimately up to the court to decide. And then, of course, the thing that I always have to remind myself here is that even though it would be a net good if Apple did take a little less off the top and made a little bit more of a wiggle room for their, for their app developers, you still have to remember Epic's not hard on money. They're worth billions of dollars. So having them benefit so much makes it like hard to root for either of them in this scenario. But yeah, ultimately they do have a point. You're not wrong. They have a point, but is Epic really the one to point it out? I guess that's where we are and there's no avoiding it. The one who has the money to point it (laughs) out. To do it. They have the money to sit in court for a week. Yep. Nobody else does. So we'll see how it goes. We'll, of course, keep updating um, on the show when there's new stuff to update. This is an ongoing case, so I'm sure there will be new stuff by next this time next week. So uh, keep your eyes peeled. And we will report when a decision gets made as well. Yeah. So speaking of Sony not wanting to play nice with crossplay... <laughs> they do want to play nice with chat crossplay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, a uh, real quick uh, preamble to this. We didn't have time to mention it on the show, but the talks between Microsoft and Discord ended up not going through. They ended up basically saying no deal and moved on. But Discord's making other deals. Right, because we had mentioned that last year when Microsoft went on a buying spree and that Discord mm-hmm. was in talks to be one of those right. potential purchases. Well, Sony and Discord are now partnering up to bring the PlayStation Network and the Discord app together in some way. In a post on Sony Interactive Entertainment's website, President Jim Ryan... Wait, getting Bioshock references here. No, 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 that's Andrew Ryan. Andrew Ryan. President Jim (laughs) Ryan 
explained the partnership will, quote, bring the Discord and PlayStation experiences closer together on console and mobile, and friends, groups, and communities to hang out, have fun, and communicate more easily while playing games together. While it's not exactly clear what this will entail, Ryan says the, co- the collaboration will bear fruit early next year, meaning by March. <laughs> Having gotten more acquainted with Discord over the past year. Okay, you don't, this is editorial. You can skip it. I mean, you could definitely say that it's a voice chat and communication tools are far superior than anything PlayStation has built in, even right. though they recently built in that chat feature into their controller for the PS5. But the basic information here is that a lot of people think Discord is a superior way, especially for people who play a lot on PC, to communicate with people via multiplayer. It's become the standard now on PC. It's also become a standard for communicating with your friends online and groups and communities that sit around some certain thing. There's a lot of Discord servers that are out there that are, are, are uniting people. And so it's interesting that Sony sees this as an opportunity to not only have cross-play games, but also cross-play chat. This allows it much easier to talk to people who are on other services, PCs, Xboxes, if they did integrate with Discord. So this is smart. I mean, yeah, a lot of players, a lot of COD players use Discord chat when playing because they use different consoles, but it's all cross-platform so you need something to communicate with all of them at the same time. Yeah. Um, not just cross-platform, but overseas. There's very little ping time loss of audio quality using Discord. Right. I mean, for those of you listening, we have a Discord if you yeah. want to come join us and chat <laughs> with us. <laughs> it's out there. We use it. Media Boat handle somewhere. Discord. Somewhere. Uh, I think you can find it through uh, Twitch. So if you go to twitch.tv slash mediaboat, you can find our Discord link through there. But we have it. We use it. It's been in use, so (laughs) there's stuff. Um, But as a Sony player, I'm fine with this. If this means that Sony gets to shortcut it, sure, I guess. I mean, put the legwork in, I guess. It should have, but yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, it's I mean, potentially exciting. It's a good thing. I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to downplay or poo poo. You just don't seem like you're super, like, yeah. I guess. I guess well, as I guess someone we'll, who doesn't play a whole lot of multiplayer games. Yeah, yeah. But for those who do, I think yeah. this is critical. I, and I think even beyond multiplayer games, I think just to be able to be like, oh, I logged into my PlayStation 4 and I can see my. PC owning friend or PlayStation Five, I guess. By then, um, uh, my PC playing friend just got on his, their Discord. Oh, I'm gonna talk to them while I'm playing my PlayStation. That's pretty cool that you can do that or potentially yeah. do that. You don't have to be in the same lobby to play. You can play while playing a different game. Yeah, it's like, cool. Play a different game. Um, yeah, like it, the story says, we don't know exactly what's going to be, like if it's just going to be an app or if it's going to be integration with the existing PlayStation chat stuff. Who knows? But we'll know by, like they said, early next year. So, Right. Yeah. 
So uh, we're really early. So would you like to talk about yeah. Nintendo's Builder Garage? Yeah, I just wanted to talk about this real quick because it broke right before the podcast. But uh, Nintendo announced a new Switch game for this June called Nintendo or called Game Builder Garage. So hey, remember Mario? Uh, remember Mario Maker? Yes. Well, what if I told you that they wanted to make another game where you can build a video game, but it didn't have to be Mario? Like, is it still a platformer? It can be a lot of things, turns out, because Game Builder Garage is not just a build a platform game. It is a build in any game thing. It's a graphically based program, the game programming tool. There's a trailer out. Don't we have this for Dreams on PlayStation? So it's even less, so it's similar to Dreams in which you're making projects like that, but it seems like Nintendo really wanted to streamline the creation process, the programming process as much as possible. So what they've done is that they've made little like cute little characters that represent different things that you can do with the programming. So the trailer does a better job than I can uh, explaining this, but more or less, it's like, you know how, like, when you're making a twine story, it's boxes connected to boxes? Yes. It's that kind of visual language, where there are boxes that are basically instructions that you're pairing with these characters that mean different things. Like, a character might represent an object in the world. The character might represent an action that the, a character does. And you're connecting the dots between these boxes to make the game go. And this is how programming works, more or less just in a visual way. So it's going to be a very like trial and error kind of way, moving these boxes around and connecting them in different ways to see whether your game works the way you want it to. And the footage they showed of the games in action once you program them seemed really like a variety of different kinds of genres. They showed puzzle games, they showed platformers, they showed shooters, they showed all sorts of different things you can potentially make with this thing. So I think this is really smart because it's a Nintendo way of presenting something that we have seen before. You're right. This is basically the same kind of concept as Dreams. But with Nintendo behind the wheel, I feel like it's going to be a lot more new, like new game player friendly. It's going to be a lot more intuitive as opposed to be, as opposed to abstract with a lot of those, especially Dreams kind of get sometimes when you get into the nitty gritty of things. Maybe you won't be able to do as much as you can with the dreams, but hey, we don't know yet. We probably won't know until people get their hands on it. Um, it seems like some people uncovered that this was related to their Labo stuff and they were going to introduce as part of the Labo line originally, but because Labo kind of well, didn't hit as much. More or less it's, died. It's more of a, it, they've now made it a separate project. But um, yeah, Game Builder Garage comes out in just a couple months. So uh, pretty soon here, we're going to see what, potential to be made of it but i think hey if nintendo wants to make a thing that makes programming accessible and easy to understand that's awesome so i'm for it i think it's a really cool idea there's a lot of apps available on your mobile device that teach you how to program code mm -hmm. but yeah this is a visualized learning way to mm -hmm. create games i'm all for it yeah, the one thing they absolutely need to do here that Dreams does, but Nintendo has always been real hesitant about, they need to have a marketplace where you can try other people's creations and comment mm. on them. And because if it doesn't have that, I think it's going to be a really hard sell. But if it does have that, 
this thing is going to be amazing. Yes, but Nintendo's always been a stickler mm-hmm. for comment section because yep. video game fan base can be very brutal. I mean, yeah, we saw not family friendly. We saw a lot of people who enjoyed the first Mario Maker being very disappointed by the second one because of all the things they took away from that marketplace of ideas kind of way uh, of of enjoying that game. And so, yeah, I really hope they don't drop the ball this time because there's potential here to be something very, very cool. And with the amount of people who own Switches, that's a lot of people who are making their own games. And that's exciting. So let's talk about something that's very, very cool for a lot of people who own Switches then. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is an actual you? game that we don't have to wait for. You played a Switch game this week. Yes. And you watched someone play a Switch game I this did. Week? I watched a little bit of this. Um, so yeah, tell me about new Pokemon Snap. So if you're like me, you've probably never played pokemon snap i'm not like you when i was nine i played the hell out of pokemon snap (laughs) i went to the blockbuster printed out the little stickers i love pokemon snap i rented it so much from the blockbuster (laughs) anyway sorry anyways but if you were a playstation kid as i'm talking to you a zoomer audience yes who listens to this podcast who either when you either aged out of it or Mm -hmm never had a Nintendo mm. console or your parents didn't buy you the Pokemon <laughs> Snap version for right. the N64. Well, you're an adult now. <laughs> you can buy your childhood. <laughs> <laughs> it's more or less the starting point for this, uh, yeah. which is the new Pokemon Snap. It's a game that came out uh, 96? 99. 99? Pokemon Snap 1 is 99. Right. And was rather quickly followed up by the GameCube like two years later. Uh, so a lot of people missed it. It was kind a of a late period it. Nintendo 64 game. You're right. Yeah. So if you like completely missed N64 or just never played it or had a friend who played it and just never went over and saw that, this is <laughs> your time to take back your childhood. Because <laughs> damn, it's a pretty game. Yeah. So I'm like, traditional Pokemon games, you're still capturing Pokemon, but (laughs) in photograph form, snap, snap. (laughs) Um, It's on tracks in a in a roller coaster style uh, automated uh, system, but you can move around and up, down, left, right, everywhere, and you take pictures of photographs of Pokemon and you get scores from it. You get stars from it too, depending on this way, but it's Pokemon, it's labeled as Pokemon in their natural habitat. So more or less, from what I can gather, it is structurally the same as the original. Both are on rails, you're both like kind of limited movement, but you're looking at Pokemon in their natural habitat, taking the best pictures you can. Uh, Best, of course, I should note, there's been this conversation on some on some websites this week that have baffled me but i guess some people had the wrong idea about the rules of actual real life photography are not the rules that you're being judged on here so drop the rule of thirds don't think about colors don't think about that just throw your photography books out the out the window because pokemon snap thinks good pictures are big pokemon straight on the middle of your frame that's a good picture in Pokemon Snap. Yes. So you have that's to get what you're being rated. Pokemon body. Yeah. In the middle of the frame, 
because <laughs> unlike photography, which is subjectional, maybe you like this, yeah. maybe you like that. I like the color, I like the palette. It's no, you can't really read that yeah. in a video game. You can read it's middle of the frame, <laughs> it's the whole frame. Right, that's a good picture. So yeah, um, so yeah, it's basically pretty <clears throat> adheres to the structure of the original one. What I noticed, the new stuff seems to be the stars, which seem to be based on Pokemon posing. Yes. Yeah. And that comes over the course of the game as you unlock new items. There were items in the original game as well, and you did get bonus points for different poses, but more or less that would be one picture, one best picture of each Pokemon. Here, it gives you a little bit more flexibility where you can have one of each of the one, two, three, four star versions of that photo in your photo album. Right, unless you find a good photo and you want it to be a two, but instead they give it to you as a one. <laughs> and it's like, oh, but I like the one that I have yeah. and I don't want to erase it. With but it's doing one. this thing. It's doing this cute thing that I thought was worth the two star or the three star, but it's not the right thing, I guess. Right. I got to come back later. And try to take it again and again yeah. and again. Yeah. But that comes with like trophy hunting and just doing repetition and stuff for, for hardcore fans. Yeah, which, of course, was the case in the original as well. One of the things I remember doing a lot in the original game was grinding, or at least this game's version of grinding, which is replaying the same level over and over again to get that one specific Pokemon with that one pose, or to unlock an alternate path, or to solve some sort of puzzle. Um, So the game encourages you to replay levels. But when you replay levels this time... You level up the level, so you love Pokemon to do more items, more actions. They become a lot more friendly because you're going through the same level. So it's like, oh, it's just, it's not like, oh, I'm scared. Who is that new person? (laughs) It's, oh, they're here again. Let me go say hi or something. Which is neat because I think that allows it to be a little bit more of a lived-in feeling world than the original one did. Um, Of course, more powerful consoles will allow you to do that, so... And more powerful consoles will allow you to have a lot more Pokemon in it, too. Yes. From what I've heard, there are over 200 species in this game. Yep. So I've yet to find all of them. I think (laughs) I'm still in the first level, though. But Mm -hmm. I'm having a lot of fun. Um, This is a family game. Oh, yeah. This is definitely a family game. This is uh, plop on the couch and play with your family. I'm playing it with my wife. We're taking turns going through it, um, Mm -hmm. taking pictures every, uh, like, okay, you do two sections, I'll do two sections, you do two sections, I'll do two sections. It's like, oh, what's that over there? Did you see that? Did you catch that? I see this. Did you see that? Yeah. So try to take good photos and outdoor each other. But it's not about the getting the best photo for us. It's about, well, it's a family game, but like it's, you're capturing the, the Pokemon photos. And that was the, always nice. the nice thing about Pokemon Snap, even back in the day, is it's this game that doesn't have a whole lot of challenge to it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There is challenge if you want to challenge yourself to get better scores. And there is a more progression this time, like you said, with the experience system and leveling up the mm-hmm. levels. It also seems like there's more boss encounters. I use quotes around that because you know what I mean. There's no combat, but right. situations where you're taking pictures of more difficult Pokemon to photo- photograph. Um, so they've done the work to make it more challenging if you seek that out. 
But just like the original, if you want to take it slow and just enjoy yourself and just take pictures of the Pokemon in nature, it lets you do that as well. There's no punishment here. It's a very welcoming atmosphere that a lot of people who are new to video games can appreciate. Um, so Christy also didn't play uh, the original Pokemon Snap, and so this is her first exper experience with it as well. And she's pretty much had the same experience that you have. Uh, watching her play was very much like, yeah, like this is very calm, and it's fun to see the different poses and trying to see what gets the different pose, like what gets the different uh, scores and different star ratings and like learning how the game reacts to your photography. And so, yeah, it's, it's a cool thing. And I'm glad they made another one because Pokemon Snap for so long was such a unique game. And I'm glad that a whole different round of people get to experience what, what some of us are uh, experienced back in the day. I mean, we're talking a game 20 years later yeah. plus. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm having fun with it. It's definitely yeah. a recommend if you've never played the original Snap or if you just yeah. want a good family game to be around because I know for a lot of people, I'm like this, especially if someone else is playing and I'm not actively participating, I can get bored real fast. <laughs> but not with this because I'm watching it and stuff is happening and I'm trying to help out and like, oh, yeah. I like plan, subconsciously plan my route for when I go through. And that plays into that replayability part too, mm -hmm. because then something that you pointed out, the person can do again when they do, like can actually see themselves when they do the level again. Um, and they're not long enough where you feel like, oh, I have to do this again. It's less frustrating and more Two like about- minutes, I think, for yeah. a round. If so that. it's quick, it's bite-sized. So you can get right back in there and be like, okay, this time when I get to that Bidoof, I'm going to get a better picture, not just get its ass. So, <laughs> So many Pokemon ass the first time. But if you time. want to take pictures of asses, this game's got you. <laughs> like, Christy was playing, and I'm like, I feel like in the original game, I don't remember seeing the backsides of everybody, but in this game, they do not want to show you their fronts, it looks like. Well, I guess that comes with the leveling up, that they'll turn around yeah. and see you more. Okay, so that is mechanical. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, all right. Because all right. you get more points when you get their front viewing. Yeah. But if you're when you go through the first time, it's a lot of backside, 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 right. side views. See, that's but really when you cool. Go through, that's they, really they cool. More. Because I feel like one of the issues with the original <laughs> is that it did some that the Pokemon had baked in animations that never changed in the original game, and yeah. so it did have sometimes it felt like Disneyland Jungle Cruise, where you're like, oh, we're getting this part. The 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 Snorlax is gonna get up and wave, and so yeah, like that is a good solution to that problem where it's like, oh, the more you play, these Pokemon are actually going to do different things and are going to interact with you in different ways. That's crucial to have that replayability not get stale. Yep. That is one thing that I do like about this game, and I like about movies as well. <laughs> it has layers. Yes! Yes. And so it has a lot of layers for newcomers to the game, for, uh, like my wife, experienced gamers like myself, and even trophy hunters yeah. who want to delve in and get all those five-star high score ratings. Yeah, and it seems like there's even on top of that, there seems to be some sort of built-in achievement equivalent. So that way there's little challenges mm -hmm. that you can do around the levels as well, which is cool. Yep. It is a wealth of a game that has a lot going on for it. And it seems like it. Definitely pick it up if you're, if you're a fan of Pokemon. If you had 
a passing for Pokemon Snap, if you if you just like photography, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a good um, after you take the photos, you can go back in and spruce them up and kind of edit the. Yeah, photos. yeah, yeah. That's cool too. Uh, I haven't gotten to the sticker portion yet, but there's a sticker portion where you can throw <laughs> like sunglasses and sparkles and rainbows everywhere. Back in my day, if you wanted a picture <laughs> of your Pokemon, you had to go to the the, the Blockbuster, <laughs> pay five dollars, print it out. Well, you now Blockbuster sheet. comes to you. Yeah. No, no. Well, because you get the, little the NFC thing. Yeah. Odd. But yeah, no, it's funny to see how different things are. But but yeah, I'm glad it's good uh, because, um, yeah, and I think it's really cool that people get to have that experience. Yep. So maybe about play it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a recommend. Yep. Uh, and with that, that wraps us up here. It does. Um, so I've also been playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. Haven't quite beaten it yet. That damn game is pretty long, apparently. Yeah. But I do have my next game in mind. Okay. Which is the new game plus version of Horizon Zero Dawn. All right. Because I didn't get to play new game plus with it. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a feature when it came out. It was just you play the game and that was it. And you got, you got the DLC, like, right? You got the uh, the Frozen Tundra DLC to play. Yep, the Frozen Wilds DLC, Frozen Wilds. so I can play through that as well in New Game Plus. And so, yeah, that's right. I was going to talk about this last week, but forgot about it because we didn't get to it in time. But yeah. I'm so glad that I have PS Plus because <laughs> it saved all those old files to the cloud. Yeah, way back when the game came out in 2017. So I haven't played this game in years. Yeah, but because it was saved to the cloud. I can pick up right where I left off and I don't have to run through everything again. That's super cool. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you want to see him play some of that, I'm sure he'll be streaming it on twitch.tv slash mediavote when he does. So let's begin the plugs on Lovely. that note. If you want to see this podcast, though, there are two big ways to do it. If you want to see the video version, that's on YouTube. Go to youtube.com, search Mediavote Podcast. You'll find our channel. Like, subscribe, comment. Click the bell for notifications. You know the deal. You've used YouTube before. New episodes are every Wednesday night. And uh, yeah, archive of older episodes are there too on our channel. If you'd rather listen to us like an old caveman, you could do that still. We're not going to judge you. We're available on all sorts of podcast apps, such as Apple Podcasts, which apparently is getting a redo very soon. Uh, Google Play, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're probably there. Just search Media Boat Podcast. You can also find us on social media. On Twitter, our handle is at Media Boat Facebook, search Media Boat Podcast and find our page. You can comment there as well. Mike mentioned the Discord earlier. If you want to join us there, you can find the link on the twitch.tv page. And if you want to email us with questions, suggestions, comments, anything that you want, we may even read your question on the air if you do. Mediaboatpodcast at gmail.com is the email address for that. And with that, oh, and mediaboatpodcast.com, where you can see an archive of our um, podcast episodes there as well. That will do it for this That will week. do it for us. Have a happy Cinco de Mayo, unless you're in the yes. future. Happy day, whatever you're listening to us then. Yeah. Enjoy. We'll be back next week for more. Yep. More thoughts, more news, and more shenanigans of whatever we tangent on. True. All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.